good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to welcome back in the studio Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning everybody out there for our last program for it the year. It is our last one for the year, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. So another year's gone. and <sighs> goes quickly. It does. And uh, what a wonderful spring we've had. I can only say that it's just been a blissful spring. I have had no stresses so far. So Good. I'm looking forward to hopefully a, a mild and, and reasonably easy summer as well would be good, uh, just to take the pressure off for a change. Mind you, I did have to water yesterday. Oh, yes. Everything I've, was yeah. getting quite dry again. Yeah, well, certainly at the nursery I'm doing a lot of hand watering now, mm. of course, with the pots and things, uh, and I've started doing a little bit of watering in the garden at home too. But uh, it's been such a cool, nice spring that everything has just grown like fury. So my only real issue in the garden is trying to hold it back because <laughs> the paths are getting narrower and narrower and, I'm, and I know I'm going to have to get out there shortly and start doing some serious removal right? because, uh, you know, I've got some paths that you, well, you've got to walk sideways to get down now. Yep. So, you know, it's just getting ridiculous. But that's exciting. I mean, that's great. I don't mind having to do that. It's much worse if you've got to go out at beginning of October and start pouring water on Oh, things. exactly. So, yep. yeah, nice relaxed start to the year. So I'm, I'm happy with the spring. Excellent. Okay. We also have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Hi, Penny. Hi, Pam. And I would totally concur with Stephen. <laughs> I've got my grapevine, I've got a, which I don't know what the grape is because it was there in the house. Oh. So it's two. One's a red and one's a green grape. Um, and they grow up my steps. And it's got to the point where you almost can't walk down the steps because they've grown <laughs> across so far. And I really don't want to cut them back because it's got so many... Um, grapes forming yeah. on them, and it's just so prolific and joyous. And I had various family members down last weekend, and they were, "Why aren't you cutting yeah, this back?" And this giving is you so a hard dangerous. time. Aren't they? <laughs> and I just said, "Well, but I love it. I love it so much." So yeah, that's very exciting. But I have to say, it's been a really tough year for garlic growers. Yes. That's interesting because my garlic's actually been quite good this year. It was yeah. crappy last year. I yeah, had a really well, bad one last they've year. They've just had a lot of problem with the cold and the oh, wet. It's yeah. delayed the whole season by several weeks. And there's a problem that happens in garlic that um, where if you get a particular heavy rainfall at a particular developmental stage or if you get extreme conditions, either very mm. hot or very cold, after a reasonably normal period, um, you get side sprouting, so that the oh. skins, of, the outside skins of the cloves, start growing. Yeah, mm. and they grow up through the pseudo stem, and it can split the whole bulb apart. Oh. And once it starts happening, there's nothing you can do about it. And some growers have lost their whole crop through oh, this. Goodness. So if you're innovative and you don't have too much of it, you can sell it as green garlic or do something else with it. But you can't cure it because there's too much greenery. Yeah, so it's not mm. going to dry out. So properly. particularly with turbans, yeah. it's been a really tough year yeah. because they were going in a bit earlier. They were at that developmental stage where you got sudden heavy rain when it was not expected. Mm. Mm. Well, I haven't so. started lifting any of mine yet, so I'm being very <laughs> thingy about how good it's looking. I okay. mean, it's starting to collapse, but I Has haven't. Has it got lots of internal growth? 
No, it doesn't oh, seem no, to happen. They haven't. Okay. Yeah. You're mainly growing creoles now? Yeah. Because it hasn't happened so much to the creoles. Yeah. yeah no, I, so I, look, you I may think well the garlic's be, fine. You may well I, be I, fine. I was looking at one of the varieties has actually fallen over and is going brown. That's the turbans. You need it, to get those. Yeah. Out. So I was looking at it they yesterday and thinking this week I, I must get them lifted. Yeah. Um, but they grew really well. So I'm assuming yeah. I've got decent sized bulbs underneath. Okay. Well, report back. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I will. I'll report back in February. But yes, last year was awful because they just didn't grow. They were small. So yeah. I ended up with very tiny garlics. Yeah. But this year, I, they grew really well. So I'm hoping that I've got decent-sized mm. bulbs this time. Climate change Excellent. is just hitting some farmers mm. in really odd ways. And garlic growers is one of them because they garlic adapts to the climate. And they get used to the bulbs because you replant from the bulb all mm. the time. They get used to a certain climate. And if you get something totally different mm. or totally bizarre, they react to it. So it can be quite a tough. Well, I'm glad I'm not a garlic grow. grower specifically. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if I don't get a crop of garlic, I guess I'll survive. Yes. But yes, uh, but I, I think I will get a reasonable crop this year. So, as far as tomatoes and other sundry things are concerned, that might be quite a different. Yes. Don't mention tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> we have to say a very good morning before we go any further to Meryl Johnson from Country Farm Perennials. Morning, Meryl, and good it's great morning. to have you on board. It's lovely to be here and to be talking to friends again. <laughs> Tomatoes, yes. Oh, it's an embarrassment. It's just an embarrassment. I do not wish to even think about them. They are minute. They're dwarfs. Yes. But unlike some of the other plants in my garden, I have to go right along with Stephen here, plants that are normally just very polite little garden friends have turned into thugs of (laughs) mafia proportions. (laughs) And I'm looking at some of my salvias and thinking, you're going to have to have a very severe... Number one haircut because they are just overgrowing other things. But what a delight they've been. I was thinking this morning now, what would be nice to talk about? And I thought, wouldn't it be good to to look at some plants that were going to grace the garden for Christmas and really brighten up the garden for Christmas? And I looked at my collection of salvias and I thought, yes, you've just done so well this year. And uh, I set up a lot of nice, cool summer colour schemes with blue and white um, colour arrangements and the salvias, particularly the salvia nemorosas, have just been a delight this year and they're going to go right through Christmas and New Year and mm. look spectacular. I was taking photographs of the garden and I thought, yeah, this really looks classy. <laughs> Mind you, there's going to have to be some de-thugging after Christmas oh, yes. New oh, yes. Year holidays though. They've just gone beyond themselves. But the fairy fishing rods are just looking splendid for Christmas this year in so many different colours and arching their way over the garden. They're Don't just you looking... love them? I just adore them. Mm. I get a big smile on my face every time too. mine come into flower. They're happy plants. They yeah. are. And I just love the way they move. Any little gentle breeze and they'll all start to move. Yes. And it animates the garden. We're... Actually, that brings up a point. It's something people don't think about. Movement, movement in the garden. It's yeah. very important. Um, uh, I always say to people I love bamboo because it rustles. Yes, mm. uh, sound and movement, yeah. music and in the garden. Yeah, so plants that have that sort of sense of movement uh, I think can be very valuable. Absolutely. And and there's a fairy fishing rod for everybody's garden because we've got some giant ones flowering at the moment, the pulcherimum varieties. They're all hybrids of pulcherimum and it means beautiful and it's it's a great way to describe them. Mm. The botanical name does the job. So at the moment, our clump of the really dark burgundy maroon one, oh, almost black, standing taller than me with the good spring that Stephen was talking <laughs> about. The good spring's been down in Nayuk as well. 
they are standing taller than me and waving over the top of my head. But then there's just a little further down in the garden bed right at the front, we've got a dear little diorama ignium, which flowers with a sort of terracotta um, little bell, nodding bell. And it's probably standing about, oh, in the old money, about eight inches high at the moment, about 20 centimetres high, Mm -hmm. and just covered in these little terracotta bells. They look just like little Christmas gnomes crouching at the the front of the garden. So there's a a diorama for everybody's garden, from the tallest to the middle to the... To the diminutive, although this spring diminutive, not a word that <laughs> yeah. you can use. Yeah, most of our dwarves aren't that dwarf. No, they're you, not they? being dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> now you've just had your garden open for quite a length of time uh, yes. during Gardevalia. Yes, Gardevalia and inspired gardens of Gippsland. So, two sort of garden festivals that follow on one from the other, with different gardens open right. for each occasion. Although we've been, you know, a staple right through. And I have to say, I reckon the garden was looking the best it's ever looked. But it was a different garden for people who visited before because the season was so late. Mm. We were a good six weeks behind. Okay. So normally for our open days, our old shed is absolutely covered with a a dear old friend that we call Uncle Fester. It's actually a, a rambling rose, Francis E. Lester, but for decades he's been called Uncle Fester. And Uncle Fester is reliable. He's always there covering up this gabby old shed for the open days. But he didn't do it this year. Oh, he dear. didn't have a flower on him. Uh, but on the other hand, the dogwoods and the tulips were blooming their heads off. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, there's always a compensation, isn't there? There is. <laughs> yes, yes. Different I have to garden. say, the dogwoods were stunning this year. Oh, they And my Chinese ones are still in full bloom at the moment. Us looking too. absolutely gorgeous. Covered. Yeah, it's yeah. just a great year for them this year. Fantastic. So, How lucky are we? Yep, exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, uh, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. In the studio this morning, we do have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward and Meryl Johnson. So uh, do feel free to give us a call because if you don't call this morning... You're not going to hear us until the 5th of February. Mm -hmm. Um, We are taking our usual January holidays because most of us gardeners need to be out in our gardens and catching up on everything or else having a a well-earned holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. We don't really need excuses. We just need a break. (laughs) We just need the break, exactly. So, um, yes, we'll be coming... Back on air uh, the first Sunday in February, which happens to be the 5th of February. So uh, if you'd like to uh, talk to the team this morning, do give us a call, 94190155. I've just got two announcements to make. Uh, The first one I mentioned last week, uh, up at Cloud Hill, every uh, Christmas they celebrate by having... um, Ozak presenting uh, a Shakespearean play in the garden. Now, this year it's going to be Macbeth and uh, it's running for two nights, Friday the 30th of December and Saturday the 31st of December. Uh, Start time is 6.30 and it will go no later than 9pm. Now, the venue is the Green Theatre, which is in Cloud Hill Gardens at 89 Alinda Monbulk Road in Alinda, People need to bring a cushion or a low fold-up beach chair. You can bring a picnic, a bottle of wine uh, and dress for the weather. Now, you can um, arrive, it's suggested you arrive early 
so any time from about uh, 4.30 onwards so that you can have a good wander around the garden first, enjoy your picnic and be ready for the 6.30 start of Macbeth. Now, uh, tickets, uh, adults are $35, children under 16, $25. For any inquiries, uh, you can speak to Jeremy Francis. His number is 97511009. That's 97511009. Or you can book online at www.trybooking.com. So that's trybooking.com. To book tickets online. Uh, now, the other announcement I have is an advance notice for your diaries for next year, but I will mention it now so that you know it's coming up. And this is uh, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. They've got their summer grafting back. Um, it'll take place on February the 19th from 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m. And uh, it's, all a go- it's going to be all about stone fruit. So uh, if uh, you might have a couple of apple trees or something in your garden, but if you'd like to add uh, peach, apricot or plum to the garden, then this would be the time to do it. Now, what you do is you choose the variety of heritage fruit you'd like to grow and then one of the skilled members down there will graft it onto new rootstock for you to plant. Uh, Now, there's also going to be lots of other stalls and entertainment on the day. The local CWA will be providing food and refreshments. Rotary members will be directing traffic via Gate 5 there at Werribee Park. Uh, The Kareni Gardeners are hoping to have a stall selling their plant varieties from the kitchen garden and there'll be local native plants and old-fashioned favourites from Werribee Park Gardens as well for sale. Plus there'll be the usual edible weed walks, tours of the orchard, grafting demonstrations and fruit trees for sale. Uh, Now, if you want a list of all the varieties that will be offered, including the Scion Wood, um, check out the website. Uh, The website is www.werribeeparkheritageorchard.org.au. So that's werribeeparkheritageorchard.org.au. .org.au. <laughs> uh, uh, I need that holiday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Okay, that number to call if you'd like to join us, 94190155. Um, Pam, could I just mention one more event in February? Yeah, sure. Because um, February is garlic month. Right. So there's a whole lot of garlic activities happening in February. Um, first of all, the um, find the food awards so that anyone who grows garlic commercially, so to sell, whether you're selling at a market or selling through wholesalers, you can enter your garlic into the fine food awards. So their entries are open now and they close in the middle of February and then the judging is at the end of February. Um, also, in um, the first weekend in February, there's the Orange Garlic Festival. So if you feel like going up to New South Wales, you can go to the Orange Garlic Festival. The so it's s- not about garlic that's coloured orange. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> sorry, it's just my weird yeah, sense sorry, of things. Yes, you know. that's, yes indeed. Um, the second weekend is Garlic Showcase at the South Melbourne Market. So in the past we've done that before Christmas, but we found that we just didn't have enough Victorian garlic around to showcase. Really? Okay. So we've moved it to the second week. Weekend in February, and we've got um, six different garlic farmers. Uh, their garlic will be for sale. It will be being cooked in the six different restaurants at the at the market. So Creole garlics, um, 
turbans, you know, there's a whole range of, of six different garlics that you'll be able to try um, and buy as well. And that's the whole weekend. So you'll be able to talk to garlic growers as well and find out what they're doing and how they do it. And then the following weekend is the Menian Garlic Festival, which mm. is in your neck of the woods. Um, and it, it's it, this is the first time they've ever held it, so um, I think it would be great to support that. So Menian is in is in Gippsland, so that's on February the eighteenth. And then the final weekend is the Cunha Garlic Festival, which is down in Tasmania. Um, so that's down on the peninsula, down in the south of Tasmania. So lots of really interesting garlic events. And mm. I'll, I haven't actually got these events up on the um, Australian Garlic Industry Association website yet, but I'm, I will get it done in the next couple of days. So <laughs> anyone who needs to wants to know more about what's happening when you can go to those that go to that site. But I just thought I'd mention it, seeing by the time I get back here again, most of these events will happen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't mind if you could shoot those dates and events through to me. I was just thinking that. Yes, so that I can can mention them uh, as soon as we're back on the 5th of February. Okay, we'll do. Brilliant. Okay. Tours, tell me about next Ah. year. What have you got planned? Oh. (laughs) <laughs> lots of fun, lots of fun as always. <laughs> the one I'm really excited about is we're returning to Provence in the south of France oh, and heading up into the Pyrenees Mountains in Catalonia, which is a fascinating area. Uh, the borderlands between France and Spain, but they don't like to think of themselves as either French or Spanish. They okay. like to think of themselves as Catalonians. Catalonians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Catalonian language is... Quite similar to to Spanish, but not exactly. And I received an email last night and I'm looking at this and thinking, this person can't spell. There seems to be too many X's in here, thinking I was, you know, looking at Spanish. And it turned out they were conversing to me in perfect Catalonian. So thank God for Google Translate. (laughs) Make Catalonian into English. (laughs) Wonderful. But uh, it's such a fascinating area because it's got a different history to everywhere else and they are fiercely proud mountain people and they create gardens that are totally different to either France or Spain. Okay. Um, so that'll be interesting and also the, the wildflowers up there in the mountains. There's just a little bit of snow still up on the peaks but the, the valleys, the high mountain valleys, are just a wilderness of wildflowers. So very excited about seeing the wildflowers up there. And then coming back down the southern side of the Pyrenees and heading to Barcelona um, in Spain, of course. And it's such a vivid and colourful city. But we've got our, we've managed to get our hands on a pretty exclusive couple of private gardens that we're also very excited about. Oh, yes. Uh, Shall I just mention that the garden owner is banker to the Queen? Good heavens. (laughs) So I won't say any more. It's very (laughs) hush-hush. Right. But uh, they're two very exciting gardens. So that we're very pleased about. And and, um, Japan, we've been doing a lot of work in Japan, a lot of holidaying and touring in Japan, which is so different. It's so interesting. Until you go there, you don't realise how much forest there is and the diversity, the plant diversity in the forests of Japan is just outstanding. It's a a hotbed for people who love plants and and flowers. We went uh, this year to see the autumn foliage 
um, which was lovely. And the gardens are just stunning, especially in the autumn when they're just blazing with the colour of the foliage. The climate makes the the foliage outstanding. Mm. And because they're full of, funnily enough, Japanese maples. Yes. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. How does that happen? (laughs) And including the forest, you get mountainsides of Japanese maples and the colour range Mm. is just beautiful. But anyway, 2018, we're, we're going to see the autumn foliage and the spring wildflowers and, and cherry blossoms and irises and azaleas. So it's very interesting. Fantastic. And they're such lovely people. In fact, you if you're walking around and you pull out a map to try and, you know, find where you are, you're in danger of being mobbed by people <laughs> who are trying to help you, putting, trying to put you in their car to bring you home. And <laughs> they're, they're such hospitable people. They're really lovely. Excellent. Now, I... I presume people can get uh, a, a view of all the full range of all your tours for next year? Yes, on the website. On the website, they yep. can indeed. Can you tell listeners the website again? It's pretty easy, although you've got to be a bit careful with the spelling. It's uh, www. of course, country farm perennials, all one word, and it's the perennials that always tricks yeah, people. The, the it's one R, R and two yeah, ends. Yeah, double R and one N, and <laughs> yeah, it really it throws It goes <laughs> haywire, that's right. So country farm perennials, all one word, dot com, dot au. Fantastic. And I presume there's, there's still some places available on some of them? Well, for next year, we're fully booked, except we've got a few places left for the holiday. I was just mentioning um, in the private gardens, very exclusive designer private gardens in Provence, up over the Pyrenees in Catalonia and and down to northern Spain round Barcelona and, and the coastline there. We've got a handful of places left there. Otherwise, the bookings for 2018 are open. So people really need to start thinking 2018 and planning ahead. You've got to think ahead, exactly. Yes. I know I just got an email last night from someone inquiring about a holiday for next year, but it's been booked out for nine months. Yes. Gee, oh, to be popular. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good fun getting to go to these exciting oh, places. Oh, fantastic. And with such lovely people. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, we'll go to our first caller. We have uh, Chen in Sunshine. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Look, I'd just like to thank you for a fantastic year. It's been absolutely fantastic, and I hope you go away and have a lovely holiday and come back on the 5th wiser and smarter. Uh, <laughs> don't know <laughs> about that. Well, I'm not sure that'll happen. Oh, no, yes, you will. <laughs> you... you I just think I know everything just because I listen to your program. <laughs> oh, dear. Also, too, thank you very much for your support and listening to about the, 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 the parks. We saved the parks, and it's, you people are a part of that. Yes. And I'd like to thank you very much for your support. We've got a council back, and the parks are all going to be have swings in them and slides and all sorts of things. So... Thank you very much. Have a wonderful new year. We need it, don't we? <laughs> oh, we do. And, Ken, thank you for all the hard work you did for that park because it was a great success. So um, It wasn't just me. If I had no, I realise there was a whole team. Own, but If I had gone there on my own, they all would have laughed at me. But I went with the community and yep. hundreds of people and we were able to do all sorts of things. The and power anyway, of the thank community. Thank you very much. And all the best to everyone. And you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year, Ken. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. All right.
right, that number, if you'd like to join us, 94190155. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so we'd love to hear from you this morning. Um, do give us a call, 94190155. Stephen, let's talk about your plants. Which I brought some climbers gorgeous. in today. Um, I have a passion for climbing plants, but um, climbing plants are one of those groups of plants that you've got to think through very carefully before you purchase them. Uh, they're like puppies. They're not just for Christmas. Um, so you need to find the right climber for the right aspect for that will grow at the right rate of knots, um, uh, something that you can control. Uh, all those things come into growing climbers. Um, so it sounds all very romantic to cover the place in roses and jasmine and what have you, but, yes, if you lose control, you really will lose. <laughs> control so you do need to think about climbers very carefully and i'm quite fond of finding climbers that have a steady growth rate in preference to a vicious growth rate because yes. uh, as we get older it's probably getting less and less a good idea to climb ladders and i was going to mention <laughs> that <Steve>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all that sort of stuff although i'm still scrambling up ladders and dealing with things in my garden but you know that's just me um but um so i brought along a couple of climbers that are not only sort of early summer flowering which i think is quite useful too because a lot of our most spectacular climbers tend to be spring oriented yes uh so something that goes on into the summer is well worthwhile looking at but they're also reasonably moderate growing climbers and reasonably easy to control and the first one i brought along funnily enough is a wisteria and the usual asian wisterias as beautiful as they are and flowering in the late winter early spring can be incredibly vigorous and they do need very very strong uh, pruning and attention to care to keep them in order uh, however uh, the north american wisterias on the other hand are a much lighter growing less vigorous growing group of wisterias they tend to be summer flowering and this one's um, wisteria macrostachia Pondside Blue, uh, which is quite a mouthful for a name, but there you go. Um, and it's commonly known as a Kentucky wisteria. And they don't get the great big long flower heads that the Asian wisterias do. And because they flower in the early summer, they flower with their foliage. So you don't get the same sort of perhaps impact that you would get okay. from yes. the Asian wisterias. But having said that, because it's a lighter area climber, it would be perfect over, say, a, a rose arch mm. in a garden mm. or somewhere smaller. And no thorns. And no thorns, yeah, yeah. So you're not going to get attacked as you go through the rose arch if you're plant one of these um, and it does flower in the early summer uh, it's a lovely soft but clear proper mauve it's not one of those wishy-washy sort of pale nothing mauves it's a good clear mauve uh, and you can also get the Kentucky wisterias in pink forms and in white forms so you can get the three basic wisteria colors in them uh, they still need a little bit of pruning and attention and possibly a little bit of corrective training when they're young because climbers have a tendency to go in the direction you don't yes. want them to <laughs> like uh, across the lawn to yes, the chook yes. house <laughs> yeah that's right exactly they sort of have a mind of their own a bit so you do have to be quite firm with them to get them to grow where you want but i think these particular wisterias are virtually under well, they're completely underutilised and they're, they're almost unknown by Australian gardeners because mm. I think we get excited mm. by the Asian wisterias because they start first and that's all you see. And uh, then you over wisterias. Yeah, and you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. And and I think that they're charming. I really like them. Um, so, Stephen, would they be nice to cohabit with, say, an autumn flowering clematis? Look, would that could be. Would that be a nice yeah. combination yeah. I mean, of it's not, climbing in yeah, each it's other? It's not so vigorous that, yeah, I think they would. The other thing I always think of too, if I'm going to grow something like this that's going to flower in early summer for me, uh, I'm very happy to say mix it with something like Virginia creeper or yeah. silver vein creeper, one of those sort of 
grapevine relatives, so that in the autumn when this is going yellow, your other climber is going and bright red. red. And uh, it looks pretty And that could look pretty spectacular as well, and that would give you sort of multiple seasonal interest in the garden. So consider the North American wisterias. I think they're a really interesting group. The other interesting thing about them, although they're comparatively drought tolerant and they're heat tolerant and all that sort of stuff like the other wisterias, they will also cope with wet feet. Yes. Uh, which other wisterias mm, won't. And, the, and these days you've got to consider that. <laughs> it, we keep talking about, you know, global warming and things. Oh, yeah, and I know. Hardy plants and then uh, some of them up and died because yeah. we had plenty of rain. Yeah. Well, I remember after the 12 years of or 14 years or whatever it was of constant drought, drought we went through, yes. uh, people's gardens coped. I mean, you know, we kept we on top of it. We them. adapted and stuff. We got that one wet year afterwards and I reckon more people lost plants exactly. that year than yes, they did through that 12, slaughter. 14 years. Uh, yep. Smoke bushes were going out like flies all yes. over the place because they weren't used to that sort of wet conditions. Yes. Um, so this particular group of wisterias is often found growing in swamps uh, in North America. So it will cope with wettish conditions as well. So mm. I think they have quite a future if people just sort of realise they're out there and have a go at them. Uh, but they don't have the sort of wow power perhaps of the Asian wisterias, but in their own rights they're, I think, really good garden plants. Mm. I think I think the flowers are almost pom-pom-like, aren't they? They, they are, are they? They, they will get a little really longer pretty. than this. this. I mean, yeah. this is a baby plant and it shouldn't even really be in flower okay. at this age. Uh, so the, the racemes will become raceme-like, but they okay. don't dangle Not straight down no, no. like yeah. tassels. Uh, they tend to sort of stick out. Um, and so they'll get to about double the length of the ones on this plant I bought in, which doesn't help on radio, I know. Um, but certainly enough to be visually impacting mm. um, and, and very pretty. And it has nice light green foliage, mm. classical sort of wisteria-type leaves, I guess. Um, and I just think that they're a great group of plants that we should be looking at. And as and I said, you can get them in all three major colours. It would be lovely to put underneath it one of the dioramas that I was talking about earlier, the diorama pulcherimums, which yeah. are the really tall, very arching ones that, you know, yeah, do the swirly-whirly in the garden. There's a lovely one that's blooming at the moment, so at the same time as your wisteria, which is almost identical colour, a lovely lavender blue called, funnily enough, Bluebell. <laughs> and they look fabulous. A little obvious. Fabu- a little yeah. obvious. They'd look fantastic together mm. if you wanted to have the wow factor of two things colour coordinated together. It's a, and always then, an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Because you can you can do something like that and have everything all at once, which can be really just exciting. Just looks fabulous. Yeah. Uh, or you've got to look at whether you're going to try and sort of multi layer for the seasons and yes. things. So I mean it comes down to personal choice, I guess, in lots of ways. But I really think that's a group of plants that people should think about more. So it's, it's Wisteria nice. macrostachia. It's nice to move the the wow factor place around the garden mm. so you can you know put the bluebell fairy fishing rod with the the mm. wisteria and then another part of the garden will be your wow factor moment while that's being quiet so mm. it's a mm. nice way to plan the garden yeah great we'll go to our next caller we have uh, Darlene in Druin good morning Darlene uh, good morning um, glad to be on I've got a problem with my comfrey plant and I've been given it and there's three plants in there and one was getting really taken away. The, the leaves are being eaten and I can't find out what it is. How do I... And the, I've moved that one. The other two um, I've got outside and they're starting to be eaten as well. So I'm just wondering how do I go about... Um, you know, sort of trying to find this caterpillar or whatever. Um, can you describe what the eating looks like, please? 
Oh, I'm, I'm outside. I'll just go and have a look. So, I mean, is it is it little holes? Is it the edges of the leaves? Is no, the whole leaf holes. disappearing? Um, it's holes. Yeah. Um, one of them's really sort of, oh, it's got massive amount. It's, it's, yeah, it's taken, there's little black things underneath, uh, like a, oh, no, it's just a, ah. Oh. <laughs> So it, it's great big holes. It start, they start out small and then they get bigger and bigger. Okay, so it doesn't look as if something's sort of nibbling on the edges. So it's no, not likely no. to be, um, you know, a, a possum or a, mm. something no, taking no. big bites out of it. So it's more likely to be an insect of some sort or a caterpillar. Yes, or a... Yeah. Well, the other one that I did have, and I got another one, I've got a friend who gives the plants to me, yep. and I saw this little green caterpillar, little tiny long caterpillar that came and ate it. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at caterpillars, um, yes. there's a few different things that you can try. You can try a soap spray. Just straight onto the leaves. What's that? A soap spray. Oh, so just soap spray. Yeah, yeah, just get a get a bar of um, a plant oil soap um, and yes. wash it in some water. Put that into a spray and go and spray the underneath of the leaves oh, okay. as well as the top. So it's important when something's chewing on it, they're often underneath the leaf. Yes. So I you did. need to get the underneath as mm. well as as well as the top. Um, uh, there are and there are, you could try a pest oil as well if you wanted to if you mm. just want to go and buy something. Um, this Echo Organic makes a really good pest oil and that w- will help with the caterpillars. There's also something called um, BT, which is a um, soil bacteria which is actually made into a spray that you can put on to leaves. And I'm going to need someone here to remind me of the name of the product. Uh, Dipel. Dipel. Um, which works with a whole range of caterpillars. So um, there's a few different things that that you can try. Yeah, that aren't nasty toxic poisons. Yeah, that aren't nasty And and since it's only a small number of plants, you could sort of try the manual technique to go go out in the middle of the day. (laughs) when. I've been doing that and I can't find anything. Oh, they're they're cunning little devils. They're green caterpillars. And and because they are sitting on the thing that they eat, um, they're actually exactly the same colour as the thing yes. that they're eating. But it's a good idea if you go out in the middle of the day when it's middle hot and the they're day. lying low, they'll usually oh. be lying right against the stem yes. or down in the crown of the plant and the comfrey yes. does have you know, quite a defined crown. Mm. And they're dashed hard to see because they are the exact colour of the thing that they're eating. Mm. Well, but I saw you can, this one. You know, yeah, you can just go and squish them with your have... fingers. Yes. Just yes. run your fingers up and down the oh, outside okay. and sort of gently yeah. rub the crown so that you squish them if they're hiding in there. But you can do the manual technique when it's not too many plants they're yes. attacking. Yes. They will All be right. there. <laughs> I Yes. Well, thank you. Well, I'll give, um, I might give the, the soap one. I don't go out and just buy things like that. I think I'll do the soap one and just spray it and then go there in the day and... Um, try to find it. Mm. I might add too, if you feed your comfrey and keep it moving fast, it Mm. can sometimes outgrow the problem. So if the plant's not really doing terribly well to start with, if it hasn't sort of settled in and and growing vigorously, then of course any pest or bug that gets in there is going to do more damage. But if the plant's really vigorously growing, uh, the odd holy leaf isn't probably going to matter so much because they'll have new ones coming the whole time. Well, I can see new ones coming now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so keep them fed um, uh, and well watered uh, yes. and that will also help sort of overcome the problem. Mm. 
Thank you. And thank you for such a wonderful program and have a great Christmas and New Year. And I listen regularly. Excellent. I think it's great. Well, you have a wonderful Christmas too. Okay then. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. Uh, we've had a query on the outside line, Meryl. Um, Pam from Bayswater wants to know if you sell Hesperantha. I'm so sorry to disappoint, but no, we don't. <laughs> I can't think where you would get it. It's a very old-fashioned, yeah. you know, which is not a bad thing. That's that's yeah, a beautiful the, thing. Hardy, and there's tough, quite a number of different thing. Hesperanthas as well, too, of mm. course. It depends on which Hesperantha people are looking for. I mean, there's a huge number of them, including now she's a stylus is mm. now a Hesperantha. I think yes. that's the one that they're after. Ah, ah okay, I understand. Mm. Yes, we do. We sell a big range of the Shiza stylus. Mm. So, oh, yes, okay. lots yes. of different colours. Yeah, because okay. they come from sort of whites through pinks to the they sort do, of reddish colours. Yes, sunset mm. shades and fire red and mm. deep red. They're white. They're lovely, lovely things. Lots of really delicately coloured pink. And when, when I say delicate, I'm talking about the colour, not the plant. Mm. They're really tough. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> yeah, are. So we can certainly help you with a range of those. Okay, so how do they get in touch with you, Meryl? Ah, you can phone on 0356 284 202 or you can email us it's all on the website anyway on www.countryfarmperennials.com.au so phone fax email or there's a contact page on the website fantastic okay problem solved there you go (laughs) as i mentioned we are running through until 9 15 so if you'd like to join us this morning uh, we have Steve and Ryan, Penny Woodward and Meryl Johnson in the studio, so do give us a call, 94190155. Stephen, let's go to the next plant. All right, well, it's still on the climbing plant sort of theme this morning, and this particular plant is, well, to all intents and purposes, a climbing hydrangea. Um, and there are a number of different species of climbing hydrangeas. This one is actually, at this stage, called a schizophragma. Uh, and the only difference between schizophragmas and true hydrangeas is that if people know what a lace cap hydrangea looks like, the little hen and chicken ones where you've got the bracted flowers around the outside and the little beady ones inside, well, the schizophragma has exactly the same thing, except that in a hydrangea, the bracted flowers have four bracts. In the schizophragma, the bracted flowers only have one bract. And that's the only difference between a schizophragma and a hydrangea. And there is talk that the schizophragmas are going to be dumped in with hydrangea given time. Mm. Uh, Genetically, they're very similar and they'll probably end up being hydrangeas anyway. Right. Uh, So this one is schizophragma hydrangeoides. So, in fact, if it becomes a hydrangea, (laughs) it'll probably be hydrangea hydrangeoides, which is going to be a bit of tautology going on there. And it's a form called moonlight. And it has a soft, pale foliage and it gets... Quite good-sized flower heads in creamy white. Uh, as I said, the bracted flowers are around the outside and they only have one bract per flower, and so they're like little white tissues all the way yes. around the outside. Yeah, little hankies fluttering. Yeah, they are, and uh, it's a charming thing. And now this group of climbers are self-clinging climbers like ivy, so they will cling to brickwork or timber work or whatever. Uh, being hydrangeas, they don't want to be in a stinking hot dry spot, although they're not quite as water-hungry as your ordinary old uh, hydrangea macrophyllas yep. are, so they're a little more drought-tolerant. Um, and they have this habit of climbing up the wall like an ivy, 
and the juvenile growth sticks to the wall and the flowering growth actually sticks out off the wall. And I regularly get oh, that's people... that's good of it. Yeah, well, it sort of just sits out and then the flowers sit on the ends of that. Mm. Yeah, and look I regularly, at me, look yeah, at me. <laughs> but I regularly get people who say they've had this climbing hydrangea thing in for donkey's years and it's never flowered. And then I find out that they're cutting everything off and keeping it back <laughs> oh, on the wall. They're trying to keep it tidy. Yeah, and so they can sometimes take quite some time to start flowering, so you do have to be patient with them nonetheless. But they have to add, uh, add that adult growth on which the flowers will sit, just like ivy does, in fact. Mm. If you yes. see a young ivy plant, it runs up the wall, it has sort of palmate-looking leaves, and then as it matures, it gets leaves that are more heart-shaped, uh, and so it completely changes in its characteristics, and that's the flowering wood yep. that is produced on the top of the plant. And all the climbing hydrangeas work in a similar way. Um, and there's evergreen, there's deciduous, uh, they're mainly white-flowered, although there's a form of schizophragma hydrangeoides that has pale pink flowers. Uh, they're nearly all summer blooming um, and because they're self-clinging once they get to the top of something they tend to sort of stop so mm. you don't have the issue of mad pruning requirements um, and they'll sort of grow to the height of anything you've got to grow them up so say you had a dead stump in the garden from a tree you'd taken down and it was a meter or so tall you could plant one on that and it would grow up and over and then it would send out its adult growth and it would flower so it would just look like a large shrub or you've got a three-story building you run it up the side of the three-story building it will grow right to the top so it'll just keep going till it runs out of place to go and then it all becomes adult and flowers. So you don't have a lot of work involved with these. So mm. they're, they're, they're an easy group of climbers to grow. So I would recommend a southerly wall is quite good for them as long as it's got light as well. They don't like to be in dark shade because they don't flower terribly well if they are. Um, um, or a, a fence facing south or somewhere where it, it could cope with an hour or so's early morning sun or very, very late afternoon. But apart from that, I wouldn't have them in, in direct sunlight, but plenty of indirect light. Keep them well watered while they're young. And like most self-respecting, self-clinging climbers, the way to get them to grow up a wall or something like that is to lay them flat at the bottom, stick a couple of bricks against them or something like that so they don't blow around, and let them find their own way uh, because they have to find their own way up the wall with their little aerial roots. You can't blue tack them to a wall and expect the adult growth that's on, say, this plant uh, to attach itself. It's not going to do that. So you just lay it on the bottom of the wall and allow it to produce some new juvenile wood and that will go up the wall of its own accord. So it might take 12 months for them to grip hold, but once they've actually got hold and got the sense of where they are, then they'll gently run up the wall, probably, you know, at maximum a metre a year, uh, so they're quite manageable. Um, and they have pretty leaves. Uh, the deciduous ones often have quite attractive stems in the winter. Um, most of them go soft yellows in the autumn, so they're not really into the autumn-coloured stakes particularly. But they do flower at that sort of Christmas, early New Year period, um, which I find really good. And they're one of the few self-clinging, climbing, flowering climbers I can think of. You know, most of the self-clinging mm. climbers tend to be grown for foliage, not That's for, right. for yeah. flowers. And it's quite nice open foliage too, yeah, so it doesn't look dense, as dense. if it would be really dense. No. It looks quite it'll Some look of them quite are. delicate. Some of the climbing hydrangeas can mm. be quite heavy and dense. I've got a, mm. a Mexican one called Hydrangea seamanii, which is evergreen and has big leathery dark green leaves, and it's growing up the south wall of, um, of our uh, brick house next door that we own, uh, and it's completely covered a wall that's, I suppose, in the old measurements, nine feet high and probably 30, 40 feet long. 
and it's completely covered and I've just cut holes in it where the windows and vents and everything are. So, And it's I don't quite know what to do. It's grown around and completely enclosed the hot water service. <laughs> oh, okay. And so because it's grown around and enclosed and kept going, if I try and extract the hot water service at some stage, I'm going to have to pull half of the, the climbing hydrangea off the wall and it'll have to start again. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be doing any harm and it's hiding the hot water service, in fact, which is mm. quite Good. Although I'm sure my plumber isn't going to be very impressed when no, he sees no. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can endorse what Stephen says about them being a lot tougher than people expect hydrangeas yeah. and hydrangea cousins to be. We've got one that went pretty much unattended through the long drought yeah. and it hung in there. It didn't look fabulous at, at its worst moments in, in the very long drought, yeah. but it hung in right through the drought. And, of course, now we've had some rain. It looks absolutely splendid. <laughs> they are. They're a wonderful group of plants. And, uh, and, and because they sort of fall between stools, people, if they're coming in looking for a hydrangea, aren't looking for a climber. And if they come in looking for a climber, they're not expecting to get a hydrangea. Uh, and so they're one of those sort of plants that people don't realise that they actually exist in a sense. So mm. – uh, and – I guess the nursery industry is like a, a lot of other industries in that it tends to be fueled mainly by what people ask for more than what you could be growing. And so these plants don't tend to show up in nurseries very often. And the few people who know about them think there's one climbing hydrangea. Oh, and no, there's lots. There's lots. I've imported several. Uh, I've got one that only has tiny wee little leaves uh, up to one that has all leaves that would be in the old measurement six or seven inches across mm. uh, that gets flower heads a good foot or more across. Um, uh, but takes 10 or 15 years to flower. But, you know... Something to live for. Yeah, as well, you it keep is something saying. to live for. You know, so, um, so there's a whole range of them, and there's lots more out there that we haven't got. Uh, unfortunately, there's apparently a red-flowered evergreen climbing hydrangea that comes from the Philippines, which I've read about but never ever seen any photographic evidence of, uh, and I don't know whether it's ever come into cultivation anywhere. But it'd probably grow fantastically in Melbourne if we could get it. And can you imagine a summer flowering bright red hydrangea? Mm. Evergreen? Wow, we want them. We do. (laughs) But anyhow, so it's a group of plants that we should sort of look at, I reckon. So the climbing hydrangeas and their ilk, uh, because there are a few different genera. It's not just hydrangea and schizophragma. There's a pilostegia, uh, there's a decameria, but they're all in the same group of plants and they all have the same growth habits and may end up all being hydrangeas one day. Mm. Uh, Who knows? Mm. I mean, if they can whack melaleuca and calistamin into the one genus, they can do almost anything. It's just keeping us on our toes, Stephen, sort of brain exercise. Yes, just trying to keep up is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but, you know, this is science. It is science. And science is really important. Of course it is. Because we've got the ability now to DNA test all sorts Mm. of things that we're – Finding that things that we thought were related aren't, and, mm. and, and things that weren't that rela- don't look are anything now, like are now one really another. Okay. Yes, exactly. well, actually, there's a really interesting example of that that's only just become, or well, people have only just become aware of in the in the scientific world of horticulture. Certainly not in a gardening sense so much. Uh, but there's a plant that's been lurking around for a few years now in the same group uh, that's being sold as the evergreen hydrangea, Dichroa febra. Uh, Dichroa versicolor. It turns out that Dichroa versicolor is actually a, a natural hybrid between a Dichroa and a Hydrangea that was found in the wild and it was assumed to be a Dichroa. Um, so they found out it's a natural hybrid between the two genera. So it's now put into a new genus called Didranger. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so it's now Didranger versicolor. And I'm probably one of the few people in the nursery industry that's caught up with that particular <laughs> thing at this stage because it showed up in that wonderful English magazine called The Plantsman. Yeah. Uh, yes, they had right. an article on the dichroas and 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 hydrangea relatives, 
sometime in the last six to 12 months, I think. Right. Uh, and lo and behold, there's a picture of this thing I'd been growing as, as dicroa for years, <laughs> and it's now a didranger. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They should actually give the scientists lessons in naming plants. Yeah. So yes, yeah, to make it more fun. fun. Yes. Yes. Well, I think the didranger thing makes sense because it's yes. just a combination of the two the genera two, names. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it, and there have been weirder ones. I mean, there was a cross between Calacanthus occidentalis, the North American allspice bush, and the Chinese relative, which at the time was called Sinocalicanthus, and they called the hybrid between the two genera Sinocalicanthus. <laughs> <laughs> but now they've decided they're all Calicanthus, so the, the, the intergenetic name has been dropped. But I thought that was rather fun. It sort of made it sound like you had some sort of strange stigmatism when you tried to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Pam, can I mention that? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a new edition of Organic Gardener out. So um, this is the January-February edition. Uh, next year, they're going to gradually change the release date of Organic Gardener so that it actually comes out a bit closer to when it's actually to supposed it's to, be. to be. So <laughs> that instead of having to think, okay, I'm writing for January-February, but it comes out at the beginning of December, so I have to include... Things that happen in December as well. We will be able to just write for the two months that we're supposed to be writing. That'll be good. <laughs> which will be great. But look, it's, I think it's a really interesting issue. Justin's talked about um, bitter plants, which are something that we don't talk enough about, no. I think, mm. in, our, in our food. So chicory, endive and dandelion, as well as a couple of bitter uh, vegetables like bitter melon. Um, Peter Cundall's got a lovely article in there about all the wild animals that come into his garden and how they help his garden by controlling pests like the echidnas and the um, various other things that come in. And Peter just writes so well. But um, that, that's a really nice, slightly different article. Um, and there's a really nice article by Helen McCarroll about stretching your harvest, so techniques for so that you're not getting a whole lot of stuff at once and, yep. and it's you can, you know, like sprouting broccoli. I've been harvesting my sprouting broccoli now for nearly four months mm, and I've got great six effort. plants and I just go out and I nip off all these little bits and it makes a meal worth of broccoli. And sometimes for lunch I just have steamed broccoli with a bit of mm. butter and salt on it and it's just I, gorgeous. I love the cut and come again yeah, vegetables yeah. where mm. you don't have to sort so, of So there's a lot of information about those sort of things. But um, my article in there is all about garlic and about curing garlic so you just growing garlic is only the first part mm. after after that <laughs> if you want to have garlic for later in the year you need to cure it so it it's i'm talking about how to cure it i'm talking about um how you if you want to you can um you can smoke your garlic as curing mm, it as which is delicious it, which is really nice so there's hot smoking and cold smoking um, I put an, a, a blog up on the website about black garlic, so how to make your own black garlic. And that's really getting more prominent on the market now, isn't it, it the is. black garlic? They, yes. And it's, there's, they talk about it as being um, fermented garlic. It actually isn't. It's actually slow-cooked garlic. Mm -hmm. So it's slow-cooked for nearly a month. So um, anyway, you can go on the Organic Gardener website, which is organicgardener.com.au, and, and have a look at that. But the thing that I was most proud of in this article is that for the first time, I've working with some other growers, um, come up with a flavour chart for different cultivars of garlic. Yeah. So we've looked at the different groups and explained what the different flavour profiles within groups of garlic. Um, but now we're, we're going down to individual cultivars. So in this list, I've got, I think it was about 16 different garlic cultivars. Mm. 
looked at the storage times, so they go from four to five months to 12 months for storage, and then the different flavours. So, And the flavours tell you what sort of uses you might want to use mm. the garlic for. So, mm. And then um, planting, whether they're an early planting, a mid-season planting or a late planting. So this is all in the one table and it's the first time it's been attempted in well, Australia. It's great so to I'm have actually such... quite proud of that. Oh, you so you so, should be. It's great to yeah. have such sophisticated information you know people just think oh yeah. well garlic's garlic it's well sort of precisely like that's what that's what most people think yes, so what but... we're trying to do is get the message out there is that garlic isn't just garlic and i'm sure listeners to 3cr have heard me I'm say sure. this they, they all know <laughs> but what i'm trying to do is now show why it isn't just garlic and and if you come to the south melbourne market um, in February, you could actually try some of these garlics as well. Well, it's great to have such sophisticated food ingredients. I know eating in Japan is always an adventure, and often I found myself eating things that I thought I probably weeded out of the garden. Normally yes, the, yes. the roots and leaves of things, are, that's familiar to me. Oh, I didn't know that was edible, and sometimes delicious, sometimes a challenge. <laughs> but it was all fun. And, and I've developed a taste for burdock root. Which oh, I, burdock's beautiful. It is. It's yes. delicious. Yeah. Really delicious. Yeah. And I'd always just considered it a weed. But anyway. Well, it is a weed. And that's you do need to keep that in mind yes. if you're going to grow it. Because yes, if you grow it, it, it will control. be weedy. You've got to keep it under control. But there are some great products now. It's very yeah. tasty in drinks and, and as a pickled vegetable, yeah. and a cooked vegetable mm. in soup. Mm. Um, yeah. So interesting. Yes. Advent, of food adventures that, that you can't buy in the green grocers, but you can grow, grow home, that's like right. salsify and mm. some of those other veggies. That yes. Are, yeah. Interesting. Okay, we need to get to a few calls. We're going first to uh, Jill, who's in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, just like everyone else, want to thank you for a fab- another another fabulous year of, of terrific uh, talk and, and knowledge and. Um, and wish you all a very happy Christmas. Same to you. Thank you, thank you. And uh, would you believe I'm ringing in again about my non-flowering agapanthuses? <laughs> <laughs> Who has ever heard of agapanthuses that don't flower? And mine flowered beautifully for years. They're the large, uh, dark blue ones. Oh, and lovely. Very fond of them because my mum in her middle 80s dug them up from my other aunt's um, garden in Belgrave <laughs> for me. And um, look... You know, the year before, I thought it was because my my male Staffordshire bull terrier had made an adventure playground amongst them, <laughs> um, without my knowledge, because you know you don't see it because the leaves, you know. But he had been tunnelling and making caves and and <laughs> so forth, having a great time, <laughs> having a great time. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've fenced him out. Now that he's been fenced out for a year now, uh, I had put some compost down and some, um, um, you, you know, not a lot of food, but just a bit of, um, oh, what do you call it? Stuff that makes things flowers begins with P. Potash. Potash. Yes, my, my fading brain. <laughs> um, and I've got, from about 50 plants, I have got eight flower spikes. Gosh. Uh, look, my first question would be, do they get enough sun? Mm. Well, ironically, the ones in the most, that are in full sun have got no flower heads mm. at all. And the ones that are in shade near the base of the Illawarra flame tree, they're the ones that have got the eight flower heads. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it may also be that you're just treating them too well. Exactly. The agapanthus down our way 
put up with that you don't water them, you don't no. do anything to them, and they're covered in masses of mm. flowers. That's so, right. Well, I, I thought I had it right for many years. You know, I haven't been treating them any differently, and they yeah. used to flower like crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a friend of mine said how he dug up a whole lot in, uh, for a friend who didn't get round to putting them in for a year. They sat on his mm. lawn flowering. And they still flower. Yeah. 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 Bloody hell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so... so look, I, that possibility that they are just plain getting too much water and are romping along and having too good a time to think about flowering. Yes. Particularly and as the ones, ones close to the tree right, where, they're getting where they'd be much drier. More hungry and drier. They're, yes. they're being provoked so to flower. Yeah, yeah, yep. 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 totally mean. Yes, okay. No I'll, water, no food, no anything. No, okay, no. And actually, I'd well, let the bull terrier back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let Reg back in. Yeah, I'd let Reg back in. If he's having a good time in there, let him go. He's not going to make any difference to the Agapanthus one way or the other. <laughs> well, possibly, yes. <laughs> so he is a fairly vigorous dog, as you can imagine. Yeah. Can, can I borrow Reg to <laughs> get down the tunnels underneath my hedge that's collapsed because of the critters yeah. that are mining underneath the hedge? Oh, I think Reg would enjoy it at my place for a month. Yes. Yeah, he would love Yes, we'll be back. Yep, great. Okay, bye. bye. Right, next up we have Olga on Phillip Island. Good morning, Olga. Uh, good morning. Um, this is not really a garden question, but it's something I feel everybody should know about. Um, the thing is, uh, I retired when I was 70 and I bought a big double block of land and it was a very heavy clay soil. And I dug and dug and dug and I dug ponds out and I dug this and I dug that, you know. Well I done, really, Olga. The rest of my life I hadn't had a chance to dig much. So I really sort of, um, you know, went for it. And uh, the result of that is that I've got something called peripheral neuropathy, which is a uh, trauma to the nerves in your feet. And it's a rotten thing because it means when you walk, you have these horrible, uncomfortable feelings in the feet all the time, which put you off walking. And uh, I'd just like to, I'd like everybody to be very careful, you see, particularly women, because women have these soft, you know, shoes that they don't protect their feet. And also, like me, perhaps, they might nip out in the morning in their slippers and see something, grab the shovel and stamp on it hard. I was known to stamp with both feet on the shovel to try and get through the clay. <laughs> A woman yeah, to be reckoned with. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, this is the result, and it's never been mentioned. I, I've read garden magazines, you know, every other day for, you know, the last 50 years or something. And nowhere have they ever mentioned this possibility. So if I can save any one person out there from this, I'll be very, very, you know, uh, pleased. And um, the other thing, I wanted to just say hello to Meryl and say how much we enjoyed our Australian garden tours with her. Uh, they were wonderful. <laughs> it's lovely to talk with you, Olga. I recognise you straight away. <laughs> oh, did you? You've got a good memory. <laughs> anyway, and it's probably um, a bit like everything, isn't it? A, a little bit is 
is good for you, not too much at once. That's it's, right. it's moderation, isn't it? And, yes, and um, changing the activity all the time so that you're not just yes, stressing one part shoes, of the body. You know, and yeah. and those, foot protection. Buy those really expensive shoes, women, and, and you know... Wear them. Yeah, and and I'll go, look, I think it's a really timely warning because gardening is something that we all do and with mm. a bit of time in our hands over the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of people getting out That's into their right. gardens. Yes. And yes. you do need to be careful. I mean, yeah. you do need to... you need Drink to, water. Right. And, yeah, yes. and wear hats. But you also need to be aware that um, if you've got a lot of horse manure in your garden, there's the possibility of tetanus if you haven't had a tetanus shot recently. Um, particularly yes. if you get a spike into you. Mm. I got a, a rose thorn into the back of my arm the other oh, day, and the first thing drastic. Yes. it can, and, yes. and you can get blood poisoning. I mean, they're, they're rare, but you do yes, need to be anyway. sensible about yes. it. Well, I so. hope they'll all look after themselves. Yeah. And I, you look after yourselves, and you've been a marvellous team, and uh, all the best for the next year. Enjoy your Thanks, Olga. Thanks, Olga. Bye. Right, next we have Wendy in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, I'm celebrating a tiny, tiny celebration. My Jacobean lily that, well, I read that it's meant to flower in summer, but mine always flowers in, um, oh, I don't know, late October, November, and then it stops. Well, all of a sudden, it's got new flowers on. Is, is this normal for it to reflower? Well, I've not, I know it's not for mine. Anyone know if it... Uh, mine's do doing exactly the same thing. I so, think it's the seasonal. Yeah, I think it's the season. I think, you know, it probably thought, oh, I'm supposed to be flowering now and came out for a while and then said, uh-uh, no, I don't want to be here and disappeared <laughs> again and now it's come back. It's, so. well, it's just wonderful because um, I, was, I was chatting to people on the Australian uh, Bulb uh, Facebook yep. page, I think, and we're all sort of lamenting the fact that many of our red flowers, uh, including our bottle brushes, are, have finished come Christmas mm. time. We yes. can go buy a poinsettia, but, you know, there are other things, red petunias, but many of the things that are, you know, bulbs, etc. they don't seem to want to flower. Even hippie astrums, they're finishing now. Um, but anyway, my Jacobean lily is, is doing its thing, which is great. But look, what I rang about, and I'm not sure if I got the recipe from you guys or where, it's a recipe for um, uh, to stop black spot on roses, mm-hmm. and it calls for three tablespoons of cider vinegar, five litres of water, one teaspoon of vegetable oil and a squirt of soft soap, and then I've written here spray in the mornings. Now, my question is, that cider vinegar, I've got rice wine vinegar, I've got white wine vinegar, and I've got normal vinegar, but I don't have cider vinegar. Yes, I thought some of you guys might be vinegar experts. Do please enlighten okay, me if uh, you know. Look, there's, there's a... There's uh, some really good cider vinegar comes from the apple growing areas yes. in Victoria, so around Harcourt. If you get on to... Uh, I, Hang I on a minute. Are you saying I must have cider vinegar in that recipe? Um, I don't know because it's not my recipe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I if would stick to a recipe if that's what the recipe is yes. uh, until you've been proven otherwise. Have you guys got anything else that, that you, you yourselves would use for Black Spot other than buying a product? I have written down a recipe that um, dear old Nick, Ian Nichols, oh, yes. gave out years and years ago, and this was what he stuck to for Black Spot, but it's... Totally different from your recipe, Oh, that's Wendy. all right. I'm, I'm willing to give anything a go. The black spot's not too bad, but I'd like to get it before it gets me. Okay. <laughs> well, have you got paper and pencil? Yes, I have, yep. All right. So for this one, it's three teaspoons of bicarb of soda. Yep. It's five litres of water. Yep. 20 mils of wool mix. 20 mils of wool mix. Yeah, I've got all of this so far. And uh, natural kelp. What's uh, that? Natural kelp. 
So a seaweed fertiliser. Yeah. A seaweed mm. fertiliser, but but that's as a mix. So it's it's four parts natural kelp. Uh, can, can you spell we, that for me? I'm really sorry. Well, just sea salt, natural kelp is a, oh, is a brand just, name. Yeah. So sea salt. Sea yeah. salt so sea would do. Sea salt made up or sea salt? Yeah, no, that's what I'm about to tell you. It's, right. ma- it's four parts of the sea salt with one part of eco oil. I've got all of that. So four parts of sea salt to one mixed part. together with one part of eco oil. And then you mix that in with the other ingredients yep, I gave yep, you. Yep, got it. And got that's it. it. And I've got all those things and I don't have to go buy any cider vinegar. Right. <laughs> cider we'll vinegar give that is really a nice, though. It is nice. <laughs> this is all my Christmas presents come at once, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a try and see how you go and... and, and let us know next year if it, if it works. I, I will do, Anderson. I want to thank you too. Last week I phoned in. I had five, um, forget what they were now, not protosporins. Oh, lily pillies. Five or six lily pillies that were getting chucked out. Yep. And a lovely customer from your program phoned and uh, uh, came and took them. And there was, there was, I didn't charge her because I just wanted them to go to a home. She was happy. I was happy. The plants, I'm sure, are happy. Excellent. So, Thank, thank you for that opportunity and um, thank you for this recipe for, for the Black Spot and a happy Christmas to all of you. And same to you. Thanks, Thanks Wendy. Wendy. Thanks again Bye. now. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we are running through until 9.15. If you'd like to jump on the phones and give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> that number is 94190155. This morning we have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward and Meryl Johnson in the studio, so we'd love to hear from you, 94190155. Penny, plans for 2017? Oh, um, Less talks, more talks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I'm going to do the same as I've done the last two years, which is only do talks in the first six months of the year and then give myself... A break. The second six months off, so I've I've already lined up some at Diggers and um, a couple for Sustainable Gardening Australia, um, which I'll eventually get up on my website. But um, and mainly talking about garlic and pest repellent plants and and herbs. So um, yeah, so that that's good. Um, I suspect there's going to be quite a lot more work next year because of various things that are happening with Organic Gardener. So I'm still working with them and I'm horticultural editor, but they'll have another another essential guide coming out um, and there's still the diaries and calendars and all that sort of thing. So that's, you know, going to be a fit. And with the garlic month where I'm actually going, I'll be at three of the events that I mentioned earlier. So um, I'll be travelling over around Victoria and then down to Tassie to, to do those and then actually I'm one of the judges in the garlic in food the in the food, food awards. Yep. Um, so that's always an interesting... I'm, I'm actually... At Cunha, um, they also have a competition because you can't bring garlic into Tasmania. So they have an internal, um, you know, for both gardeners and commercial growers all, okay. all enter this competition. So I'm one of the judges for that on, I think it's the 25th of February. And then I've got to get back to Melbourne and two days later, I'm the judge. At the... So I'm going to eat a lot of garlic. <laughs> You're going to be garlic out. <laughs> You'll be very healthy. <laughs> it's, look, it's and an mosquito-free. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting process because, um, particularly for the food awards, we taste it raw and we taste it cooked so mm-hmm. roasted 
um, and possibly we'll be tasting it also fried this year. I'm not quite sure. With the Cunha um, Garlic Festival, we just do it. We just taste them raw. Yeah. Um, and we've had to find out what you can take to clear your palate between each oh, tasting. Yes. Because just garlic like if you're is, having wine or whatever, yeah, you've exactly. still got to clean So it. garlic is such a strong mm. flavour that not only do you have to try and get rid of the grains little bits in your mouth but you also need to so we actually don't swallow the garlic i swallowed the garlic the first year and i ended up with an awful stomach ache. i bet you did <laughs> uh, so we chew it and, and spit it out and we use a combination of chewing bread um, and slices of apple are mm. good um, but we found that blueberries are the thing that actually takes the flavour out of the mouth yeah. more than anything else who would have thought so yeah so if you're having to Try it. I mean, this obviously this is not going to apply to very many people, but if you're having, <laughs> yeah, if you're an aspiring garlic judge, judge yes, yeah. <laughs> um, blueberries are good. Yeah, so yeah, so that's what we what we have sort of in between each tasting each garlic. So it's inter- it's an interesting process. Absolutely, mm. goodness me. <laughs> okay, um, we've had a listener ring in on the outside line wanting to know how to grow sunflowers from seed. Well, I presume from seed. It's the starting point. Yes. Yeah, and they're easy. I mean, just yeah. a bit of decent, sunny, vegetable garden type soil and yep. sow your sunflower seeds and stand back virtually. Um, the only thing I've found is that snails and slugs oh, really yeah. like them. So I put my copper collars around them. Oh, so yeah. the, the bits of pipe that have a copper ring, I just mm. sit one around each one until they just get big enough mm. so that the snails and slugs aren't going to mm. kill them and then I take it off again and reuse it somewhere else. But... Yeah, so you need to protect them from snails. Yeah. But apart from that, you should be fine. Yeah, they're fairly foolproof, really, aren't yeah. they? But, you know, yeah. good rich soil because they grow fast and they need plenty of warmth yep. to get the height and get yep. big flowers and all that sort of stuff. So a nice rich bit of soil somewhere in a nice sunny aspect. And and there's some beautiful sunflowers oh, out there. So ones. it's well worth looking around. And I actually quite like the ones where you get more than one flower on mm. each plant because that means you can pick them and mm. take them inside and you've still got lots of nice flowers left on them. Whereas the ones where you only get one flower if you pick it that's it that's sort of the end yeah. of the plant so and do do either of you have any tricks for germinating the seed no no they no, just, yeah. just grow in. No, yeah. i mean i have sunflower seeds that pop up in the compost heap from yeah. the from the chook food and yes. stuff that yeah. uh, just come up of their own accord so because I've, I've had some years where none of mine have germinated okay yeah. I, For look, some reason. Some years where I don't have room to put them in, I've grown them in small pots. Yep. And that's quite a good way of doing them. And then just tr- they transplant well. They don't, mm. They're not yep. worried about being transplanted. So if, you, if you've if you struggled with them in the past, it might be worth trying that. Well, you start uh, them off in pots. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know whether it was the particular seed because, I mean, other years they've come up really easily and I haven't had to think about it. But mm. then other years, as I say, I've... Not had one come up, which has been very disappointing. So, um, yeah. So I've read somewhere that you can just nick a bit of the seed with a, you know, with a a razor blade or something, and then other people say you soak them overnight. And I'm thinking, yes. Yeah. And you know, most most daisy plants don't require any sort of um, Mm. pre treatment. Exactly. You know. That's why I was so surprised as mm. to why I had trouble there one stage. Maybe, anyway. it were, maybe they were just dud seeds. Maybe mm. they were just dud seeds, yeah. yeah. And that can happen. It can yeah. happen, mm. unfortunately, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll go next to Jill, who's in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. I've got you another recipe <laughs> for, for stopping the um, 
black spot on roses. And I know that the re- I've actually pasted the recipe on the sprayers, which used to be my pre-wash sprayers um, that had orange power in them. And so I've reutilised them and then put the uh, recipe on and given them to people as presents. So what a good um, idea! It um, it has in it bicarb soda, uh, water, mostly water, a little bit of vegetable oil. And it has a tiny bit of sulfur. So I bought a $12 thing of garden sulfur. It's going to last me for donkey years at this rate because I just make it up in the sprayer, not worrying about buckets where the um, vegetable oil is sticking to the bucket or anything. Just put the drop of vegetable oil, a bit of a little pea-sized bit of bicarbonate soda and as baking soda and um, a little bit of vegetable um, a little bit of the sulphur and then add the water and there you go. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a very a similar recipe, yeah. yeah. It's probably have good to have different ones that you alternate too. That would help to break cycles. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's, there's not one fix-all. It's probably good to have two or three different ones. Mm. And look, can I just say that Black spot on roses is something that just happens and, and we really, you know, if, yeah. it's, if it's not a big problem... It, you we, can just remove the worst affected leaves and not worry about spray. And wait for the weather to and improve. And just wait for the weather to improve. I mean, yes. if you're up in Sydney and you get a lot of humidity, um, it can be harder. Yes. But, um, yeah, a bit, of, a bit of cultural control sometimes means that you don't have to spray at all. Could I ask a question? Sure. Um, on my kangaroo apple, it looks as though it's got curly leaf, you know, that, that uh, if you don't do the copper on nectarine and peach, it looks like that where I pruned it off. And um, it's quite unsightly, but it's not in the front fence or anything area. (laughs) So I'm not worried about it. But I just thought, why would that happen? Look, it's hard to know. And kangaroo Mm. apple, you know, does go through a senescent stage when it sort of dies off completely. So um, Yes, it's a short-lived thing. Yeah, it may just be getting towards the end of its life. But... Yeah, it's been a funny year this year. So that also, there are all sorts of odd stuff mm-hmm. happening. I, I, you know, it's um, I, without seeing it, it's hard to know. But I, I would not be spraying it with copper. In fact, I've actually stopped using copper in my garden mm. now, in any oh. form. So what happens when you do your nectarines? What do you get curly leaves? Um, I don't get a lot. I, I take off anything that appears early. I just remove the leaves. And oh, yes, it, tends, it tends not to spread. But there's increasing evidence that um, build-up of copper in the soil not only kills worms, <clears throat> but it also destroys the fungal microflora in the soil, which upsets right. the whole balance. So if oh, you well, can avoid um, spraying copper, you should. Sulphur is a better option, but you've got to be a bit more careful with sulphur um, because you can only use it at certain times of year and at certain concentrations. Right. Um, but, look, if you have no other option then I would use copper but there are other things like the like the commercial potassium sprays which are similar to the bicarbonate which change the pH of the leaf um, and they oh, don't well, I, might, I might try the black spot on it and yeah. see if, if that works because that changes the pH of the leaves yeah yeah yeah, okay, that, well, I'll that, stop beating myself up for not doing it because I didn't do the copper last week <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't <laughs> 
<laughs> and and that wonderful Rosarian Susan Irvin once said to me when I remarked that we were having a very bad year for black spot. She said, "Well, my dear, just take your glasses off." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, it's always in the damn spot. You know, mm. I was given a rose recently, and just in the in the shade where it's self shades, that's where the black spot is. So I just took yep. the leaves yes. off and yep. put them in the rubbish bin. Yeah, yeah. Well, all have a lovely holiday. You all deserve it. Getting up at the crack of dawn for the show, and thank you for all your advice, of course. So especially from the Herb Society Victoria. And if people want to see the website, herbsocietyofvictoria.org.au and then there's the Facebook, which you just type in Herb Society Victoria Richmond, would you believe? And that brings up, the, and Facebook, and then you can get that website. But we're on holidays until the first um, Thursday in February. Okay. February the 1st. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jill. Bye. Bye, um, and Jill does such a good job of looking after the Herb Society website. She really works hard yes. on that. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, she I'm, does. We're very grateful to her. Absolutely. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so if you want to jump on those phone lines and give us a call, 94190155. Just a reminder, as I mentioned earlier in the program, we will be uh, taking a break over the Christmas New Year period. We'll be back on the very first Sunday in February, which is the 5th of February. So uh, we're all going to get stuck into our gardens and uh, hopefully have a bit of a rest during the... um, well, if it gets hot, I don't yes. know how it's... <laughs> <laughs> so far, it's not showing much sign no, of it. So. No, no. <laughs> Forecasters keep changing their opinion too. One minute was going to, oh, it's suddenly going to get hot and we're going to in for a really hot summer. And the next they're saying... No, I think it might be going to be a cool summer, and yeah. so who knows? We've taken the plunge and, and put away the winter doona and gone to the summer weight doona. <laughs> it was a mistake last <laughs> night. It was actually quite cool. Yes, some of the cool. nights have been really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah and when, that, even when I got up this morning at the, the usual six o'clock to get down here, and I walked out on the front veranda, and it was. And well, the cats didn't want to go it out. Was only, <laughs> it was 10 degrees in Melbourne, so yeah. it would have been a lot colder. Yeah, when yeah, were. I reckon, yeah. I reckon oh, yeah. more like 7 yes. probably when mm. I got up this morning. I meant to check mm. actually, but the cats certainly didn't want to go outside early this morning because <laughs> yeah. I normally let them out when I get up. And if I have to get up at 6 in the morning, they get up as well. Yes. Um, and normally they'll bound out the door, but they could tell it was going to be cold out there. I had to push <laughs> no. them out the door. <laughs> It's um, no wonder we've got dwarf tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and exactly. last year, I actually ate tomatoes off the bushes before Christmas. Mm. It's a dim, faint memory now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think I'd get your green tomato pickles recipe. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to get fruit. Yeah, you might year. even not get that far. No. And I may not have the problem of what to do with all the zucchinis. Because <laughs> <laughs> there may not be any. Can I, can I just make a suggestion? I've been growing this year, and this is through my contact with the um, Royal Botanic Gardens, Tasmania. Um, they each year have this huge tomato sale, which I think I mentioned before yes. on radio. And this year they got seed from the Dwarf Tomato Project which is um, a volunteer group in New South Wales, has been breeding dwarf tomatoes, which they, which usually are pretty ordinary tomatoes, mm. but they grow much smaller so that they're a, they're a useful tomato, in, particularly in small spaces. But they've been crossing them with some of our really interesting heirloom tomatoes. Mm. And over seven generations, so they're not F1 hybrids or anything like that, they actually grow true to form. They've come up with this whole fabulous range of Australian bred 
tomatoes, but they're all dwarf. And most of the dwarf tomatoes are what we call potato leaf tomatoes. Mm. So the leaves actually look more like potatoes than they do the tomatoes that we're most familiar with. And they're much more cold tolerant, these particular tomatoes. So I've got eight different dwarf tomatoes from, they posted some over to me, mm. um, in my garden at the moment, and they are flowering and they are starting to produce fruit, mm-hmm. whereas Good my heavens. other ones aren't. Okay. Mm. So maybe if we're going to have these this weird climate where one year, I mean, the year before it was too hot and yeah. too yeah. dry yes. and the tomatoes actually stopped producing fruit because it got too hot. And I saw some recent research that said that once you get over 33 degrees, the pollen in male tomato flowers, male, well, the pollen in tomato flowers, um, actually changes genetically so that it's no longer viable, which is why you don't get tomatoes in really hot conditions. That was just on the science, one of the science websites in the last <laughs> week. Me. So, I mean, maybe we need to grow a range of a, different a range is good. Of yes. tomatoes. So yes. if anyone is interested in this seed for next year, the Dwarf Tomato Project has their own website um, and you can buy seed through them. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the Tasmanian groups are going to grow these same tomatoes again next year, but you may well be able to get tomatoes from them next year. So I, I just think there's... I think volunteer groups are amazing. Yeah, they, they do, do the most incredible stuff. things. Yes. Yes. And how how they could for seven years grow, keep breeding these tomatoes. And they've got a sister group in the US who are doing the same thing. So they're producing these dwarf tomatoes as well. And I've got most of these tomatoes in grow bags. And they, that's all you need to mm. grow them. So you can move them around. You can put them in a sunnier position. And it's such great fun seeing what's yes. happening with them. And they're green tomatoes, they're orange tomatoes, they're yellow tomatoes, they're red tomatoes, they're big ones and they're cherry ones. There's and it's whole such range. a range of flavours, isn't yeah. it? I love the idea of growing the tomatoes and other vegetables in grow bags. And uh, I really got aware of this visiting gardens in Scandinavia, private gardens in Scandinavia, because, you know, their climate is not mm. conducive tomato, to tomatoes or many other vegetables. But, of course, being gardeners, the one thing that's really hard to grow, that's the thing they're desperate to grow. <laughs> so they go to enormous measures to grow vegetables and, and have vegetables for a very prolonged season and very innovative about you know, making microclimates to grow their vegetables in, but it necessitates they do grow them in grow bags rather mm. than in the ground. Mm. Yep. And then they can crop rotate easily and, you know, yep. it, it's a great idea. Mm. And you can control the feed and the water to them and get a really great product. Yep, yeah. Mm. And it's anyway, fun. So I just thought I'd mention those so yeah. that people can tuck that away for next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll Good report idea. Back yes, let us know that. how yeah, they that went is in February. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, we'll go next to uh, Phil, who's in Harkaway. Good morning, Phil. Oh, good morning, ladies and gents. How are you? We're well. Good. I have a, um, I have a jacaranda. I have three jacarandas. One's cracked on nicely, but the one in the backyard that I reckon always does come on uh, fairly strong seems to be very wispy in the leaf. It's got the flowers coming on it now, uh, but it's very weak leafed. Is, uh, is there a problem with it? Could be over water. Mm, possibly, yeah. yeah, because it's been a damp season. Right, uh, okay. And I haven't watered it. I know they should. They, I know they don't uh, require watering as such. So. But we've had a lot of natural rain, right. and so the ground might actually have got a bit too wet and soggy for mm, it. And okay. and 
if you've got one doing really well in one part of the garden and one not do, doing so well in another part, it's often due to the fact that it's a bit more low-lying or the, the fact that the, the water tends to sit in that particular area more. Right. Um, and my gut feeling is that's what it, it'll be. And yeah. once the warmer weather sets in, assuming we do get it and we, yeah. and the... I mean, we haven't had a lot of rain recently, so the ground's starting to dry up now. Uh, As long as the root system hasn't been too badly damaged by overwatering, the tree will probably recuperate. And I just give it a a good dose of seaweed or whatever and uh, see if you can stimulate the roots a bit and just see how it goes from there. Okay, just water around it with a mix of uh, seaweed. Yeah, just give it a seaweed uh, hit and then don't over, obviously, keep watering it, but just give it some seaweed and let the ground dry out a bit more and hopefully it'll be fine for the summer. Excellent, thank you. And and the other one, uh, the third one, I actually moved uh, during winter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I dug around and took a good root ball and moved it immediately and put it in within uh, half an hour of pulling it out of one hole into another. Mm -hmm. It's got nothing happening on it, looks dead, but when I scrape the bark, it's as green as green underneath uh, that uh, surface. So yeah, again, I'd, g- I'd use the seaweed on it. Jacarandas don't like shifting terribly much. Right. Uh, so there's always a risk you'll lose one if you do shift them. Yep. Um, but I'd give it the, the seaweed. If nothing happens by sort of early January, though, I'd say it's probably gone. Even though it looks very green. Oh, look, you can often have green colouring in a stem. That doesn't mean it's actually alive. Oh, okay. uh, you know, people assume because there's green in there that the plant is still alive, but it's not always the case. Okay. Um, and um, so um, it doesn't sound good. But then having said that, I've got some uh, persimmons that I bought bare-rooted this year from one of the wholesale growers. They're only just now starting to break mm. into leaf, and yet mm. some from last year in full leaf now. Yeah, right. um, they've taken that extra time to sort of get themselves organised. Sure. And a cool season hasn't helped. No, well, I've got um, a, a rare maple from China, Asa pentaphyllum, which is always late into leaf, but my stock for sale is just leafing now in mm. December. Mm. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I was almost going to give up on it because I thought there's something wrong with these trees. Uh, and I noticed yesterday they're all breaking into leaf beautifully, but it's early December and they're breaking into leaf. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. so, yeah, so I would say, you know, sort of by January or so, if it hasn't done anything by then, I'd say you've probably lost it. Okay, thank you. And I just have, if I may, very, very quickly, uh, there are two, two issues that have always troubled me and I'd just like uh, quick answers to them if you don't mind me, Archie. Mm. No, that's fine. Go okay. yeah. uh, I just wondered, first of all, whether potash, whether ash out of my fire contains potash or is potash or is it good for the garden or bad for the garden? And the second query is if you've got built, uh, leftover builder's lime, can that be used as garden lime? Does it have any of the properties of garden lime? Or, uh... I wouldn't use builder's no, lime in no. the garden uh, for a start. Do uh, not? Uh, it will burn the dickens out of things. Okay. Uh, so I just wouldn't use it. Um, so that's that question. Um, Certainly ash has potash in it, but it depends on what you've been burning as to Mm -hmm. how much potash there will be in it. Um, And as long as you haven't been using any sort of weird products in your fire, uh, then yes, use it in the garden. But Sparingly, very sparingly. I I always look at it like uh, it's a condiment, not an ingredient. So you sprinkle (laughs) it around like you would salt and pepper, but you wouldn't use it like you would flour. Um, So So sprinkle it it around, sprinkle it in in the compost heap if you've got a good compost heap a little bit of um, ash in the compost heap that's where mine ends up generally Um, but you make sure it's spread generally over the garden not sort of 
congregated anywhere because it can end up being this sort of soggy mess on the ground yep. that then bakes into a hard mm. cake on turns the top. Into, yeah, it turns into concrete. concrete. Yeah. 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 And so, the water doesn't get so through. So you don't spread it thickly. No, no. no. So use it very sparingly, but, yeah, certainly use it. Uh, I mean, it is an organic byproduct of something that you've had in the garden and all these things will have certain elements of use so i certainly don't discard my ash it always goes back into the garden and because i use some of my own wood i figure it's sort of i'm mm. just recycling everything yeah, it sort of goes back in. so when i have a tree that has to come down it gets dried out turns into firewood it gets burnt uh as does the kindling that i collect around my gum trees all the time and then the ash goes back into the garden yep. good yep excellent thank you thank you folks okay bye now. Right, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, we've got about 15 minutes left. If you want to uh, quickly ask a gardening question, the number is 94190155. It's 94190155. Stephen, your plans for... 2017, you're travelling again. Yes, I've got two trips up and running. Um, We're doing Normandy in the Loire Valley in um, June and I'm doing Madagascar again in uh, October. Having said that, though, if you are seriously interested in the Madagascan trip, I think there's only one or two spaces left. Uh, There's still ample space on the Normandy tour, so if people want to come on that. I mean, the numbers are much more limited on the Madagascan one as well, so it sort of makes it a little more difficult. Um, So I'm doing that. Um, uh, It looks like I'm doing a fortnightly gig on the ABC radio next year as well. So I'll be starting, I think, on the 28th of January. Uh, I'll be doing it fortnightly after then other than when I'm travelling. And I guess apart from that, just working in the garden, working at the nursery. I've got an opening for the garden coming up in March. Okay. Uh, So I'll be opening for the Victorian scheme this year for the first time. Open Gardens Victoria. Yeah, Open Gardens Victoria. I think it's the 18th and 19th of March. And the plan is for me to open my garden once a year, but at a different season each year over the next three or four years. Oh, okay. So we're doing an early autumn opening this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't discussed when my next opening after that will be, but it'll be at a different season. So people can come in and see the garden at different seasons each Mm. time. And I've always been happy to do that. I mean, I've done winter openings and all that sort of stuff for the old scheme years ago, and it's great fun. I mean, Mm. I always figure that my garden's got to entertain me all year round. So if it can do that, then hopefully it's going to entertain others. And I really feel sorry for those that will only open their garden on the second weekend in November when the roses are at their best. (laughs) Because what do they do the rest of the year? (laughs) So, yeah, so that's, that's... I think all that's planned at this stage, I mean, there's a book being organised at the moment, but that's way, way down the track probably. Um, so, yeah, busy has It's hazard, Stephen. We once opened our garden for the now defunct Australia's Open Garden Scheme and we were asked to open to show off our daffodil collection. So mm. per se, it had to be early in the year, yeah. particular weekend. Well, it snowed on the Saturday, (laughs) and so no one could get to the garden because of the snow. We had no visitors on the Saturday. On the Sunday, the snow melted, the road flooded, but we did have six intrepid visitors who (laughs) made it through. But were the daffodils in flower? They were fabulous. They would have looked so good in the snow. They looked yeah, they would have looked fantastic. Uh, but look, that's the thing with opening. You it's never know fun. what the world's going to throw at you. <laughs> we had one day we had an opening and there was a storm, a windstorm on the day that we had the opening. And I actually had a gum tree rocking in the ground. Uh-huh. And I had people saying, oh, shouldn't you close the garden and all this sort of thing. And I didn't know what to do about it. We, so we just... <laughs> 
gritted our teeth and kept going. Hoped for the yeah. best. Yeah. And the tree got taken down the next day by the tree surgeon, but it, it, it stayed up. It didn't come mm. over. Um, but, yeah, you can have all sorts of things that can happen weather-wise. Mm. I mean, if we have a mild summer this year, my garden should be fantastic in March. But yes. I have had autumn openings before where... By the time the opening came around, I've just been drained of every bit of energy mm. just trying to keep the keep garden looking good. Looking so fresh. I think autumn openings can be very fraught. But real gardeners understand oh, of course this they do. and, of course and they, they do. still enjoy it because you do. can say, well, that did very well. Mm, that's not mm. so good. And, and look, what a- you see, your visitors don't. I know. Um, you only see the bits you didn't get done. They yeah. see the beauty of the bits you did get done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they come in and they enjoy it for what they get and, yes. and you might have seen it in in a better state the year before or you might see it in a better state the year after but it's what it is that year and people do enjoy it but it was very funny I had a group through the garden a few weeks ago from Sydney one of the Swains tours was going around and I worked like a navvy it was just after we got back from Madagascar so I think it was the week after so I worked like a navvy to get the garden looking as good as possible I had to push plants back off paths and cut things back so that people could get through and they arrived and I welcomed at the front gate and I glanced to my right and right inside the gate was a huge blackberry a big milk thistle (laughs) and some sticky weed all of which I'd missed uh, and they were huge and I thought how on earth did I miss that right inside the front gate but there you go you know and nobody noticed I didn't say a word I was waiting for somebody to say what a wonderful milk thistle you grow Um, and nobody noticed it you know, so, yeah, so it's or all they were just too polite to say. Or they yeah, might have been too be, polite to say. Be. Or, you know, and I always say, well, it's just butterfly habitat if anybody asks me. <laughs> so, so you sort of get away with it anyway. You can, you can always have the right answer. Um, it has been a season for thistles, I have oh, to say. Yes. Our chooks are getting very particular. They now, you know, want to know the, the provenance of any thistle that I feed them. They've yeah. had so Was many. Was it from the south side of the hill? <laughs> That's right. They're getting very particular. Uh, yeah. Okay, a couple of queries from the outside line. Uh, firstly, one listener's asked, Angelina Plum grown from seed, will it sucker? Good question. Yeah. Uh, a lot of plums will, mm-hmm. uh, so I certainly wouldn't want to feel confident to say it's not going to. No, uh, on its own roots, yeah, it on just its, could. Yeah, it could easily be a suckering plant. So uh, I've never grown an Angelina from seed, so I don't know, but um, I would be aware. The other question is... Um, Apparently, a Virginia strawberry was featured on Vasily's Garden, and uh, the listeners wanting to know when it will be available here in Australia. God knows. I didn't see the program. No, I didn't either. I suggest you ring up um, Vasily's. Well, you can ring or get onto yeah. his website. Or get onto yeah. his website. And email them. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I haven't heard about it. No, I haven't heard about it either, so I can't answer that one. Okay, next up, we're going to go to Janine, who's in Frankston. Good morning, Janine. Oh, good morning. Yeah. Um, I'm ringing up really just to make a comment about sunflower seeds that you were talking about a while ago. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, Because I've just planted some this year. They're actually from diggers. They're called Moonwalker. Yes. Oh, great thing. It's a fresh packet of seeds, and in the pot they've all come up, and they're about, um, I don't know, eight centimetres tall now. But all the ones in the garden bed, none of those have come up. So it's a bit like what you were talking about, Pam, where yes, right. some of the seeds haven't come up at all. And I've actually just been out and had a double check thinking they might have <laughs> yeah, snuck up on you. But they haven't. Um, Janine, are you sure it wasn't just that they poked their noses through and the slugs got them? Yeah. Because well, they do... Possible. They do it's just possible. disappear overnight. If, you, if you're not out there, you know, every single day looking to see whether they've come through, that's what happened to me and that's mm. why I 
now protect every sunflower seed that I plant (laughs) when I plant it. Sounds Mm. like they're precious and they're lovely food for um, the little snails. Well, the snails and slugs just love them. Well, that may be what's happened, but I've been been looking every day and um, they just haven't, Mm -hmm. none of the ones in the bed. Oh, that's interesting because I was was checking on mine every day and I'm sure they didn't germinate. Mm. Maybe another seasonal thing because the ground has been very cold till very late. Well that's what I'm thinking whereas the ones in the pot will probably be warmer. Yes they would be. Yeah yeah. anyway just thought I'd make that comment. No that's interesting. that's happening to me this year and and my seeds are definitely fresh. Yeah. It's nice Mm. to know we're not alone in our (laughs) troubles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rush out and get some more and put them in and um, put some snail protector around them. Okay, good on you for for letting us know. It's a fantastic Sunday morning event. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) bye. Bye. I think we have such wonderful listeners. Oh, we we do. do. Yep, they're great. They're definitely our extended family. No, they're wonderful. Yeah, Um, Meryl, I presume you're going to be also having um, a. at some of the garden festivals next year? Oh, we love it, Pam. We absolutely love it because we do get to meet all these really interesting gardeners and talk with people and everyone just has so much to to offer you in knowledge and experience and it's just fun to share. Mm. Um, So, yes, we'll be at all the the big garden and plant expos. The Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show is our huge event. That's the biggest one we do all year and... It's enormous fun, but we're absolutely exhausted. <laughs> it's very it long, isn't it? Yes. It's very long, and the hours are very long. And it's, <laughs> but we and love it's it. quite late this year, yes. so it's so right at the end of March. That's if, right. If people are wondering, and I think they've just the tickets have just come. Yes, on the tickets market, have just, so become, just become available. available. Yeah. yeah, but it, it is going from strength to strength. You know, people are just the displays are just absolutely outstanding. Mm. And what's been a nice innovation in the last few years, I think, is the range of plants um they're they're the designers that are doing the the show gardens are extending their range of plants and going out more on a bit of a limb instead of playing safe with their plants so you really can enjoy the show there's a lot less glass and chrome that's right and hard (laughs) landscaping plants are becoming more important and they should always have been i could never quite understand why we went through that era where everything was was all about paving yeah and you think well you know it's a garden show so Mm. aren't plants supposed to be the major element and a lot of those landscapes were coming back in you know it's Mm. not all safe and conservative Mm. there's some really adventurous color work with the plants I think one of the sad things, though, is that um, as gardens, houses are getting bigger, blocks are getting smaller, gardens are getting smaller and smaller. So in some ways, the ones with lots of concrete Mm. actually reflect reflect the reality of so many gardens. And it's uh, more and more people are going to need to adapt um, and grow things in pots. And, you know, if you're going to have any sort of garden at all, you're going to have to be really innovative. And vertical gardening is huge overseas. It's a major move. And it is becoming more so here as well. And and the benefits of it are tremendous. So vertical gardening is definitely But we're unfortunate we're losing the... um, effect that you get from if you've got big trees that the shading and the the climate control control and Mm. all that sort of thing in the outer suburbs where the houses are so close together that there is not actually enough room for wind to go through to act as a natural cooling Mm. Um, Mm. there was a really interesting double photograph that showed you know the way our building used to be in housing estates and what it's like now 
And it was just horrifying because all you could see was roofs mm. Mm. with no room for gardens. Mm. Yeah, it's sad. Um, yep. It is. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, lots of lots of smaller key um, garden shows as well. One of our favourites is the Tesla's oh, Garden yes. and Plant mm. Expo yes. yeah, because fun. it's fun, interesting talks, and it's just a nice family atmosphere in a lovely setting so you can go from the you know the huge to the the tiny little ferny creek horticultural society show which again is just real family it's mm. it's fun yep excellent okay we're going next to david in wheelers hill good morning david good morning panel and thank you very much for your program look i've got a terrible infestation of aphids on my crab apple it's they do come every year but i've i've tried i've hosed them off couple of times I've used a commercial brand which I think has made them even more um, <laughs> they've enjoyed it <laughs> and I, I'm a bit desperate the, the, the tree is looking pretty awful and the foliage is thinner and I think some of the branches might be mm, getting deadish what do I do any clues please uh, are they woolly aphid pretty well they are woolly aphid they are woolly aphid really woolly woolly but quite woolly Okay, so not 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 a green aphid or a, no, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, no. okay. Um, woolly aphids are always a bit trickier, but one of the things you need to do is control your ants. Right. So, have you got ants coming up into the tree? I'm not aware of that at all. In fact, I've got some plants growing around the base of the tree, and I can't see any ants. The, the thing is that what the ants spread it to all the other parts of the tree. So okay. there's not much point in, in controlling your aphids unless you get rid of the ants as well. Uh-huh. So have a close look at that because um, yes. the ants farm it for the, yes. for the sugar, for the mm. honey honeydew. Okay. Um, you can control that just by putting a collar around the tree and putting a sticky substance on the outside and a little bit sort of folded under as well so they don't sneak under the collar. So that's oh, a relatively that's, easy that's thing easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll need to make sure that your plants around the base are not close enough for the ants to climb up and get over the collar. Um, they probably and, are. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't know, how big is your tree? It's about five metres. Okay, so it's a big tree. With a smaller tree, um, particularly with woolly aphid, because they can really stick in clumps, if you get out there with a soft toothbrush and soap, you can actually sort of scrub them off. Yes. Manual technique. Yeah, manual technique. <laughs> that would be a big job. Um, would be. So that would be probably and too dangerous. big for you. And have you tried uh, a pest oil? No, okay. pest oil. Well, I think I would no. go for Given that you've already tried probably soap, um, I think I would go for a pest oil. So Echo Organic makes a really nice pest oil. Um, that is certified organic. Um, and you need to make sure that you get it on, on all the aphids. Now, yes. the thing is that uh, this it was it's not surprising that people mm. are having trouble mm. with aphids this year. But earlier, like a month or so ago, we had masses of hoverflies mm. in the garden. If you, I don't know if people saw them, but mm. we literally had millions of them mm. in the garden. Likewise. And... What I'm hoping and what seems to have been happening in my garden is that the hoverflies, the, the larvae of the hoverflies actually feed on the aphids. So although we should have had a huge number of aphids in, in my garden, I haven't seen any yet. And I think that that's because of all the hoverflies. Mm. Um, so I guess what I'm doing is in a roundabout way, if you don't want to have the same problem year after year, you need to start planting things that are going to attract the beneficial insects into the garden. Yes. And then when you look at your aphids on the tree, you need to not make sure that you're not also killing 
the larvae of ladybirds and hoverflies and things. Because yep. if you get rid of all of those, they will come back and they'll be worse. Mm-hmm. So okay, it's a well, sort of multi-pronged attack. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what, what sort of things are attractive to hoverflies? Um, well, hoverflies and ladybirds, um, things like alyssum are really good for actually growing around the base mm-hmm. of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd probably have some other suggestions, Meryl. Yes. Um, salvias. Yes, salvias, salvias are great, are great for Anything beneficial that's insects. Really good with nectar. Okay. Pentstemons, yeah. um, hyssop, um, catmint. Yes. So okay. you don't yep. you don't want okay. things that are going I to compete too much with your with your actual crab apple. But so some of the low growing and things yeah, well, around there's, the there's base. little catmints. There's a little catmint called little titch, <laughs> and it's yeah. very diminutive, quite ground hugging. Probably only stands about six inches, fifteen centimeters high when it's on tippy toes in full flower. So it's a good one to plant around the base. And you want some of those ones to be in flower when your crab apple might be attacked by the by the hover, by the um, aphid. Aphids, yeah. So yeah. there's no point in them flowering in summer. You need them flowering in spring. Yeah. So spring yes. flowers. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you, panel, very much. Okay. Good luck, David. Bye. Well, I do want to uh, give a big thank you to the panel this morning, um, Stephen Ryan, Dixonia Rare Plants. Mm. Thank you for Don't all your Don't forget gift efforts. vouchers and plants and things horticultural <laughs> for Christmas, by the way. Visit your nursery. <laughs> yes, go out and, and visit the nurseries. <laughs> Meryl, a big thank you to you and and uh, a pleasure. We'll catch up. We'll have to catch up again next year at some stage. Yes, um, love to. Can you please um, mention again contact details for Country Farm Perennials for our listeners? It's all on the website www.countryfarmperennials.com.au or by phone and email. Fantastic. Love to hear from you. Fantastic, Penny Woodward. A big thank you to you as well. Um, if listeners want some some nice reading over Christmas, the new um, the new edition. organic gardener mm. magazine is out. Um, pick it up in newsagents, but there's also my books that you can buy through my website, which is pennywoodward.com.au. It's quality information, <laughs> and we'll be talking garlic when we come back in February. If you can shoot through that information, yes, and, um, yeah, for, so garlic month February. Yes. Fantastic. A huge thank you to Jan also, who's been handling all the phone calls this morning. I just want to uh, remind listeners, we will be back 5th of February, will be our next program. And to all of you out there, have a very, very happy Christmas and a very safe and prosperous New Year. So until 5th of February, it's bye for now.